Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with your host, that's me, Deb Wolf. And today we have back with us one of my favorite guests. Dr. Jory Bachnick. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jory. Hi, Jeff. Glad to be here. Nice to see you. Well, okay. So in advance of this show, I announced to Facebook that I would be having you on the show and that I was inviting people to send in their problems, things that maybe they were having trouble with their own vet or they needed a second opinion or there was just some kind of conundrum they couldn't solve even though they'd done lots of tests. So we got four of those for you to solve today, Dr. Jory. Are you ready? I will do my best. Okay, get that bat in your hand. Here comes the pitch. Okay, so we have the first one is a doodle. And this is very strange. They have done so many tests and so many vet visits, and nobody can figure out what's wrong with this dog. Okay, so the doodle has odd symptoms, sort of a seizure, but not really. Although the last time it happened very recently, she did urinate. So maybe it is a seizure up until now. Mm -hmm. The description she sent us was that she never urinated, she never defecated, but she would start shaking. And Do we know how old she is? I think she's around a year and a half. Pretty young. Okay, so she's young. Okay. Yeah, really young. Um, maybe even younger. And uh, so initially it seemed like it was connected to car rides. So I told them, you know, try gravel, all these things connected to the car rides. And that seemed to help. They hadn't had a seizure for months. And then she had another one, even though there was no car ride. So they're really confused. And um, they they ask if it could be something to do with her ears, like an inner ear growth problem. Is that possible? Yeah, no, I would say no. Okay. They did. I saw something about they were asking about immature ear, and I would say no to that too. Okay. And dogs that age, um, the things that I worry about are either congenital things or with that kind of seizure profile, the way that's presenting, epilepsy has to be on our list. So there's just two things. One and Something else that can cause seizure-like symptoms is liver disease. And if the dog hasn't grown well or... No, it looks good. It looks healthy, big, robust, chubby. Yeah, no problem there. It doesn't, it doesn't look at all uh, stunted in any way. Okay. Because one of the things I worry about is a liver shunt. Okay. And with liver shunts, you can have seizures. Generally, it falls around eating because the food as it's being absorbed from your gut is supposed to go first to your liver, then to your body. But if you have a shunt, some of that absorbed food and ammonia goes right to your brain. And these dogs can have funky seizure-like symptoms, oh. depending on around eating. And so depending on what kind of lab workup they've had, you've really got to make sure their livers are normal. The other thing being epilepsy, epilepsy is one of those diseases that's really confounding because there is no specific test. It's sort of a diagnosis of exclusion. And that's where it gets frustrating because, yes, we've done all these tests, but we don't have an answer. But we actually do have answers. What we're doing is knocking things off the list of what can be and leaving things on the list of what could be. And epilepsy is one of those diagnoses where you've got a perfectly normal dog who has these funky little seizure-like symptoms. And they can start off with what are called like petite mal seizures, which are kind of, it can be very subtle things where they have odd behaviors that come and go. Or they can get a muscle twitch on a part of their body that comes and goes. And it's not the mm -hmm. full-blown fall to the floor, paddling, peeing, pooping, barking kind of thing we're used to seeing. 
Well, that's it. This video. Yeah, the video they sent, the dog is just shaking slightly. You know, it's not falling to the floor. It's not convulsing. It's almost like it's nervous. It's just a little bit of a tremble, but its eyes seem to be not focusing. So I I think it is maybe a small seizure. Then then you've really got to. So based on what kind of lab work they've done, they need to do all the standard things of complete workup where you got to rule out intestinal parasites. You've got to make sure their biochemistry is normal. You got to make sure their red and white cells are normal. You've got normal heart function because you want to make sure that it's not a lack of oxygen problem. It's all the things you take off the list. And then when you're left with all normals in a dog of this age, they're left with the diagnosis of epilepsy. And then the conundrum is to treat or not to treat. And I kind of have my benchmark. Everyone kind of has their own little threshold of when to treat. I generally like to don't like to treat with any of these medications until I get at least two or three seizures a month or okay. one, what I like to call big whopper seizure, where the family never wants to see another one. Right. Where the dog falls down, defecates, urinates, yeah. seems in a lot of distress. Yeah. Yeah. Of they're course. terrifying for people to watch. It doesn't hurt the dog. It doesn't hurt the cat, but it's really hard to watch. And one of the things, and most people don't do this anymore, but the last thing you do is stick anything in their mouth. They are not going to swallow their tongue, but they will bite your finger off if you put your hand in their mouth. Right. They re- it's not their fault. They don't know what's going on. So just make sure they can't bump themselves into anything or fall downstairs, like clear a path, but yep. let the dog have a big just towel or have itself. a big quilt because okay. then you can kind of wrap them up so they don't whack their head, wait till it subsides and then begin the cleanup. Because a lot of times the injury comes with the banging of the head, not so much the seizure. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of touched on this, even though this isn't one of our questions. I think it's really important. You mentioned parasites and I'm watching like yesterday, we had this amazing day here in Vancouver. It's a sunny, hot, beautiful, just the kind of day for ticks to come out and find those hikers. So what do people do if they find a tick on their dog? We should cover that quickly. Yeah. As soon as it gets over four degrees, this is the thing, ticks are out, ticks are out and feed it. So you don't even need one of those beautiful days, but that's the days like that that bring people to the ticks. And so the thing to remember, if you find a tick that's embedded in the skin is you can't pull it. You have to unscrew it. And so there's all kinds of little devices that are on the market. You can find them all over the place that may have them. Amazon, you can buy them. Pet stores have them. Some of them are called de-tickers. I like the little devices that let you grasp the head right up against the skin and then you unscrew it like you would a screw so left to loosen so you have to un- keep Ugh, unscrewing until so the whole disgusting. thing comes disgusting you're just making me cringe i know okay but if you don't do that right the head breaks off inside your dog and that's not good right well, then you've got an infection and Ugh. it's still passing lyme disease or a licky or any of the other gnarly things that you okay you unscrew it out and then what do you do with this tick so it doesn't i mean I would send it to the tick people, right? There's people looking for ticks, aren't yep, they? You can send it off just to get it identified to see. I like giving it to your vet because your vet will send it to see if it's got, um, if it's carrying any of the diseases that we're worried about. Because you should know if you get a tick on your dog from your backyard and it's carrying Lyme disease, then you want to know that because then you know it's in your neighborhood. We're seeing just a huge upswing of Lyme disease this year. I've already got about a dozen cases and half of them, oddly enough, are little York, little tiny dogs, like dogs under five kilos. Well, they're so low to the ground. They hit all the ground, like the ticks can climb on real easy, can't they? Easy. But people also think, well, I don't go far. I'm only in my backyard, so I don't need to treat these dogs. But then 
These yeah. are the guys who then go untreated. They're in the backyard and then you've got Lyme disease. Well, and they mix, like, I think there's exposure from other pets, pet stores, places that pets visit, dog parks. I mean, it would be impossible to keep your little dog away from all that. 100%, 100%. Like, and that's why I really advocate prevention. I'm a very big preventer. I would rather not treat because treating is tough. And treating some of these diseases require months and months of medication. You want to avoid it. We don't want to run into resistance with our medications that we're currently using. So the best thing to do is avoid getting it in the first place. There are lots of good products out there. The big One of the biggest debates I have with people is, well, what can we use that's natural to treat and prevent ticks? And the honest truth is Nothing. there really isn't anything. Mm-hmm. A very good study was done out of U of T where they took all of the natural remedies and compared it to placebo. And they found the best treatment when they did that was the placebo. Oh, no. Okay. Well, and the reason is people who, if you think you're treating and you don't yeah. take the precautions, I would rather you not treat. Having said that, there is one completely natural remedy that I do like. What's that? Very inexpensive. If you go to the dollar store, you know, those lint rollers that they have the tape on them. So when you roll your body with it, you peel the tape off as you go. Yeah. Those work really well for getting ticks off your dog. Really? When I had a a wolfhound, he was like a magnet for ticks. And so after a walk, I would use that lint roller on him. Even though I've got him on a prevention, I'd rather get the ticks off sooner before they fall off in the house. And so I just roll his body and I would find, I would grab, a couple of the little teeny ones and they would stick. You peel them off, you're safe, you're gone. And so that is a very good, it's inexpensive, completely natural method of pulling the ticks off before they get in bed. Because in your house, I mean, they could potentially bite a human, right? Well, they're coming on to you. It's going to happen because that's their job. Their, their job is to find something to eat. It's going to happen. And you could get Lyme disease and you could be on antibiotics for years and maybe never recover. So it's really, really important. Okay. So brush your dogs too, when you go out, when you come in and maybe a haircut is a good idea. If they're big shaggy beasts that drag their fur through everything, maybe a summer clip isn't a bad idea. And yourself, you should probably be tucking your clothes in and wearing camouflage kind of clothing, not the bright colors I love to wear that the ticks are attracted to, right? Just, yep. uh, okay. So now we're going to go to the second question. We got a second from a Frenchton, which is a French bulldog, Boston Terrier cross. I just think about that. And it's like, I can just yep. imagine uh, she's female, eight and a half years old. And okay, this is, I hope this is wrong. I hope they're wrong. They're worried that she may have spinal myelopathy, which degenerative myelopathy. Everyone out there, if you've ever seen a dog dragging its back legs, that's what we're talking about. Very sad. So this is what they're saying. Over the last year, she's been dragging her back feet more and more when walking. She limps quite badly and is starting to lose control of her bowels. We've taken her to the vet and we're told it's arthritis. She gets pain medicine daily, which helps, but not completely. We've taken her to go swimming physio. These people are good people, which does help her listen up that that day, but then it doesn't actually fix anything. From our own research, we think she might have canine degenerative myelopathy, but we don't know how to check for this. How do we determine if this is in fact what our dog has and should we be checking for anything else? Okay. So considering her breeds, the breeds she is generally aren't one of those breeds to tend to get it. And the smaller dogs, you're looking at the corgi types. But there is a or German shepherds, right? In yeah. the big ones. Shepherds okay. are, it's the classic dog for for sure. Right. So there's a genetic component in those breeds. So you actually can do genetic testing in dogs who are of the breed that might have it for the mutation. Because she's neither of those, then that's off the table. But so the question is, what workup have they done? 
So number one, degenerative myelopathy, again, is another disease diagnosed by exclusion. You rule things out. So the first thing you're going to want to do is take some regular x-rays because if you've got spinal cord impingement, if you've got a degenerative disc, if you've got arthritic arthritis changes in the spine, if you've got spondylosis, which is bone forming, you can get compression of your cord, which can then look like this. Um, if you've got a prolapsed disc that's calcified, you can see it on an x-ray. Or you may need to do a bit more advanced imaging, like a CT scan or an MRI, to look for things that could be pressing on the spinal cord. Those are things that can cause this. Degenerative myelopathy is not a painful condition. It's a disease where you become weaker and weaker. You lose all your muscle mass, you atrophy, and then you also will lose bowel control, etc. If you're painful, if the dog is painful in their back, then it's likely not that, and it's likely some of the other ones. The investigation is good because surgery is an option to be treated. If this has got a disc issue, you correct that disc, the pain goes away. Right. Um, the physio that they're doing is great. Muscle, you want to maintain muscle mass at all costs. Anti-inflammatories are good if you've got, again, pain. If it's degenerative myelopathy, it's not doing anything. There really isn't a treatment for that beyond maintaining muscle strength as much as possible. But it's a, it's a progressive, ongoing illness that you will eventually lose that fight. It's a very sad thing. And from my experience with people who own dogs with this, they always get the, the canine cart, the doggy wheelchair too late. They wait until yep. the dog absolutely desperately needs it. And then they try and introduce it and they can't get him in it. So if you're in this position, I really strongly recommend you get the wheelchair right away and get the dog used to using it right away because they can really motor with those things and they'll get yep. used to it. They'll get around just fine. They'll have a long life without it. If your dog's a big dog, this is going to be a big burden on you carrying his back end outside every day and yeah. and really a, a, a small world for him, a sad life for him. So get the canine card if you can early. We have to go to break, Dr. Jory. We're going to go to break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a six-year-old lab golden cross when we get back. But one thing that occurred to me the other day, just before we go to break, I was listening to someone complain about their cats and their cats don't know the word no. They say no, and the cats don't react. And it occurred to me that if you have a cat out there that does not know the word no, it is most likely because you don't tell it no enough. And if you have a dog out there that does not know the word no, it is probably because you tell it no way too much. So think about that over the break. We'll be back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're with Deb Wolf on Pet Life Radio, Animal Party. We're back at the party. And we have a third question for Dr. Jory. Okay, 
Six-year-old lab, Golden Cross. We got her as a puppy and she's always had a habit. Oh, you're going to love this, Dr. Joy. It is familiar for you. She's always had a habit of eating poop. We had hoped she would outgrow this behavior, but she never has. Is this purely behavioral? Is there anything we can do to help curve her poop eating behavior? So (laughs) I love these because... We hope she would outgrow it, which means they didn't do anything to really curb it. Yeah, so now we we've just had it nicely established for six years, the dog's entire life. Right. We just looked away and yeah. now we'd like you to fix this for us, which actually we can fix it, but it's not easy. It's hard to fix. It's a normal, gross behavior of these animals. It's just, it is a normal behavior. Not all of them do it, but those that do, it's not uncommon. So I find it's very challenging the older they are and the longer they've been doing it. So there are products you can get. And honestly, it's a bit of a, guessing you have to find out what works. We start off with simple things like there's a product you can purchase called Forbid. You may eat it. So apparently, quote unquote, it makes their poop taste bad. Um, there are other things. There's a, Some people talk about feeding them fresh pineapple. We'll do that. Some people say feeding them fresh pumpkin. Honestly, I find it's six of one half dozen of another, whichever one works. Some people will actually use MSG, which I believe is what Forbid is. Mm. Another thing is if you're feeding a unbalanced diet, it can be promoting it. So you want to make sure the food you're feeding is a complete and balanced diet. You could uh, provide a barrier. So a cage muzzle. I had a Labrador who was a puppy who was intent on eating poop. And the most disgusting thing ever is when you put a cage muzzle on them and they mash the muzzle. Oh, that's disgusting. They eat it anyway. Oh my God. Oh, is she, I I have a question. I wish they they had told us if she's eating her own poop or other dogs poop. Cause to me, that's, that's a distinction. Yeah. If she's eating other dogs poop, usually it's because she's feeling uh, insecure and she's trying to take on the scent of the stronger dog. Or if she's eating her own poop, that can be connected to too much scolding with house training sometimes where the dog just doesn't know where it's supposed to go, but it knows it's a bad thing and it just has to get rid of it. So we got to up the positivity around pooping and uh, eliminate the opportunity to eat the poop. That's the first step, right? Like scoop that poop. You can't leave any laying around. You can, no. you can try to spike it. Like some people will, you'll leave one poop out there for them to eat and then you cover it in, you know, ghost pepper sauce or cayenne or anything like that to really do that. But the problem with that is if you don't get all the poop, then the poop that's not spiked becomes even more desirable. So then further to what you were saying, work on the training. So command, work on the leave it command. Leave it and come and uh, give a substitute. When the dog leaves poop for you, he gets a cookie, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that hunger, that desire to eat something is satiated by something else. So you're breaking that connection of poop poop tastes good. Nope. Avoid the poop. Cookie tastes good, but you're going to need a leash. You're going to need to control this dog through this because it's an old habit. Think how hard it is to stop biting your nails or smoking cigarettes or anything you do that you wish you didn't. It's that hard for a dog too. take about three months at least. I like the analogy between smoking and eating poop, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have to go to one more break, and we're going to come back with a Portuguese water dog with a lot of problems. So stay tuned on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. 
It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! We're back on Animal Party, Pet Life Radio. And this is a long one. Okay, so, nine-year-old Portuguese water dog, a little bit chubby, had some elevated liver enzymes. They're not sure. That could be nothing. She licks her paws incessantly. Maybe she has allergies, but it could be nothing. But all of a sudden she got limpy and then getting stiff and then sore back legs. She couldn't come jump up on the couch, couldn't get into bed. They thought it had something to do with reverse sneezing because she was reverse sneezing. So, and she had a wheeze. So the vet put her on uh, meds, but then her limp got worse. And then she got taken into eMERGE for pneumonia. And now she's just been released because she can breathe on her own. And the people have a couple of questions. They want to know how long till aspirational pneumonia is over till she recovers. And they also want to know, since their vet says it's a cruciate ligament problem, can they leave it with a nine-year-old dog? It's mild swelling, mild limping, or should they do surgery? Two big questions. I think we have to take many steps back. Okay. If they've diagnosed a cruciate ligament, my initial thought with this dog who was limping but unable to get on the couch or whatnot was a back. So if it's got a torn ACL, first, I think they need to determine what's going on with that liver because it's going to be a big surgery. The second question is, why did this dog aspirate? Like aspiration pneumonia is not that common in dogs unless they have a reason to aspirate. So then there are certain conditions that can lead to that. So you want to make sure it doesn't have things like it's a bit old for it, but a dog who's got myasthenia or some kind of muscular underlying muscular problem, why are they having a swallowing issue? Or did it just dive in the water with its mouth wide open, take a big gulp of lake water? And that is that what happened? So I think we need a bit more information. A nine-year-old dog, I think, is a dog who can have a relatively long life. So you could be looking at six or seven years. So I think surgery is a good idea. Having said that, not everybody can afford five, six, seven thousand dollars worth of surgery. So do we have to fix it? No. Can we, will, we have, will we manage it? Yes. You'll have to manage it regularly because the dog's going to require regular medication to keep it comfortable. Because if you think about people who tear their ACL, they're not, most people who tear their ACL and don't get surgery are not very active. This is a Portuguese water dog. I don't have to tell you, they're always active. Yeah, they're busy little things, although she's yeah. getting older, but yeah, busy. But she's only things. nine. And so mm-hmm. I would not be investing in things like braces because I find they're exceptionally expensive. And they're very challenging to use. Okay. Um, so I would be doing things like if we're not going to fix it, then it's it's regular physio, weight management to keep them lean, anti-inflammatories, both medical and nutritional, to come up with a plan to keep the dog comfortable. It will eventually scar and it will have arthritis later, much earlier, and it's not going to be a normal knee, but they'll do well, provided you provide all the supports they need. If you have surgery, it'll do better. It'll do better because you'll correct the instability clean out the joint, and then you won't have all the problems. And eventually you may not need any medications. You may only need nutritional anti-inflammatories and exercise modulation to get the dog fit again. The other thing to remember, if they blow one knee, 
dogs who don't get it fixed, almost 90% of them blow the second knee within the next 10 months. Oh, okay. But okay. So how about the dogs who blow the knee, get it fixed? The people don't do what they're supposed to, and they have to get it fixed again. That yep. seems to happen, right? It does. It does. But the other thing though, is you, the dogs got to recover from the, from the aspiration pneumonia, if indeed that's what it had. For, I want them consistent, breathing well, minimum a couple of months before we go through another surgery. So they say that the dog, Lucy, was put on Serenia Blue, 30 milligrams daily, because when she came in, that one side, when they were listening to her chest, one side was dull. That That's what was described. Do you think the Serenia Blue had anything to do with the pneumonia? The no, uh, I'm no? not exactly sure why they would put her on Serenia. Serenia is an anti-vomition medication that has certain anti-inflammatory properties. Well, this did the reverse sneezing that she was exhibiting, I guess, perhaps. If she, is dull, if she was dull in her lungs, mm -hmm. unless she was vomiting at that point. Vomited once after put on care, but only once. So they, yeah, they said Serenia that Serenia was... probably stopped the vomit. I think we're missing some of the history because Serenia would have been used to treat a gastrointestinal issue, not a lung issue. I don't believe so. she had that. A gastrointestinal. Yeah. Then I'm I not think, really sure. I don't think the serenia mm. contributed to the, I think the serenia would have prevented the aspiration. I mean, oh. from reverse sneezing, the list is long. You know, did she snort something up there? Does she have a seasonal allergy? So, okay. So people are probably listening going, what the heck is that? It's when your dog makes this weird, weird noise that ends in a sneeze and the dog almost convulses. It's so intense. The whole body is involved and it'll do it like 10, 15 times in a row. Just this weird sneezing that doesn't stop. And it's very, very alarming. I had a dog who did it every spring for about two weeks, obviously a seasonal allergy. You just had to kind of ignore them for two weeks and it would go away. Give them a Benadryl if it was really bad. So sometimes it's, it's not a big deal, but other times, is it a big deal? Again, it depends on the underlying cause. Some of these dogs, if you feel the roof of your mouth, you've got the hard part and the soft part at the back. Some of the things that cause it is if the soft part is elongated, it can flip up. And so these dogs spend a lot of effort trying to snort back through their nose because they like to breathe through their nose to kind right. of suck things back. And so it's in and of itself, it's not that dangerous, but the question is, why are they doing it? Mm -hmm. And some of these dogs are so heck bent on breathing through their nose that they'll actually pass out. And when they pass out, then their mouth opens, they start breathing through their mouth, they wake up again. And then either their soft palate's falling back down and they're fine, or they start this whole process over again. So it really boils down to why. And I don't, I think we're missing a bit of information here. I think- Okay. The aspiration pneumonia needs to be fully resolved. Why did the dog aspirate? We need to sort of sort that out. We don't need to rush to surgery, mm -hmm. um, but I would have her on a plan right now to deal with that knee. So limited exercise, icing that knee, massage, stretch, um, physio to strengthen the leg up and to protect the other one. If she's a bit heavy, she's got to lose weight. I'd make sure she's not hypothyroid. Yeah, they said she's chubby. So yeah, the weight's got to Chubby come off. translation from the owner who loves their dog. They need weight loss. Chubby is a nice word for uh oh. Husky. Husky. <laughs> yes, they're husky. Yeah. Um, okay, so we kind of touched on it a little bit, but one thing that's prohibitive for cruciate surgery for many owners is the cost. And it used to be years ago you could send your dog to the vet school. There were ways you could get the surgery done cheaply. Is that still an option for people? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, the problem is one of the big issues all across the country is, at least in Canada, there is an enormous vet shortage. So over COVID, over the last two years, I would say fully a third of the veterinary population has fled the industry. And according, really? to, according to our governing body, 
the shortage probably won't be corrected until about 2040. Oh, my so, gosh. So if you're looking for a good place to practice veterinary medicine, come to Canada. Yeah, because that's one of the that's one of the ways they're trying to solve it is to try to bring in foreign graduates because and get them trained up for here. But the problem is I have whereas three years ago, if I have a dog who's got a fracture that's too complicated for me to repair, I can refer it. Now it could take two weeks to find someone to touch. I've got ophthalmologists who I used to send for cataract surgery are no longer taking patients because their waiting list is over six months. And so it is a consistent problem all over the place. There's not enough people to do the work and the workload is getting bigger. So I think uh, your best bet is to find someone who can do the job and then save up to do the job properly. The reality is you get what you pay for and a mm-hmm. cheap job often results in more complications, not great outcomes. I think it's better to wait and save than to try to find a, a less expensive way of doing it. Alternatively, as I'm sure you already do, recommending pet insurance. These are, this yeah. is what it's for. Yeah. You, know, you have to get it ahead though. It's too late for the people with the yeah. diagnosis. So yeah, but get it when they're puppies, mm-hmm. get it when they're puppies. It's never going to be cheaper. Get it when they're kittens. And right. then when they eat the string and you have a $3,000 surgery, you're protected. And that's what it's for. Okay. So that's one aspect of why ACL surgery can be very difficult for people. But the other aspect, and I, I kind of mentioned that sometimes the dog needs to have it again. Usually that's because the people didn't carry the dog enough. They, they made it exercise too much while recovering. Are they going to have to carry this Portuguese water dog in and out to pee for a month or two? Like how bad is this? It's not that bad. I mean, especially if it's got, if it's other leg is fine. Dogs do very well on three legs with a bit of control, like a leash, um, okay. They have things like the help me up harness. You can put it on them, makes it easy to carry, but you can also just sling them with a little towel under their hips and they can walk. It's They're not allowed to do anything off leash for the first couple months, okay. um, but properly repaired, they get better quite quickly. And then it's just slow, steady climb of, from very restricted activity to gradual and, and steady increasing. And again, this is another thing. When you go to a, a proper board certified surgeon for some of these procedures, you get the proper plan, you get the physio in place. So you get the best possible outcome. If you're going to put your dog through it, you're going to put the family through it and you want to have it set up as best as possible to give you the best chance. So in this particular dog as well, before you go into surgery, A, we've got to clear up why this happened with the aspiration. But in a chubby nine-year-old Portuguese, you want to make sure they don't have something like hypothyroidism because if their thyroid gland is under-functioning, then their ligaments are weak, they gain weight, their metabolism is slow, they don't heal well. So all these things need to be investigated, which is why it gets expensive. But when you skip these steps and rush to a cheaper, shorter solution, it almost always turns around to bite you. Okay. Well, we've answered all the Facebook questions. If you're listening to the show and you want to ask Joy a question, you can always go to my Camp Good Dog Facebook and just leave your question. Please, though, make sure you tell us some details. How old your dog is, how old your cat is, what kind, spayed or neutered history. Give us something to work with. And the next time Dr. Joy comes on the show, we can cover your question there. So you're welcome to all the Facebook people. And thank you so much for sending me your questions. I have something I noticed in the newspaper just before we end the show. Uh, The Bear Group in Maple Ridge is seeking helpers. Okay, so they want volunteers for the Black Bear Society this spring. But what I noticed about this is their list of what they want is very similar to the list of what many, many organizations all over the world are looking for. So if you're sitting there listening right now and you think you might have some of these skills and you'd like to help animals, well, there's going to be an organization in your neighborhood looking for this. So 
This is what they're looking for. The group is asking for people to help with dispersing educational materials in target areas, coordinating and assisting at community events, fundraising and donations to pay for signs, flyers, electric fences, educational material and critter care. And, and this is the big one, grant writing. They need people who can write grants. So if you've got any of these skills, especially grant writing, there are so many nonprofits. Pick your warm and fuzzy topic. You want to help birds? You want to help cats? Want to help dogs? Want to help wildlife? Whatever it is, find your organization and I bet they could use your grant writing skill or your willingness to go to a fundraiser and blow up balloons for kids or whatever it is. So please get involved. Help the animals any way you can. And thank you, Dr. Jory, for helping the Facebook people today. Super fun, Jeff. Thanks. All right, everybody. From Dr. Jory and me and Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.